while they're uh, exiting and while you guys are finishing up with offering, um, we have been in a series called Encounters with Jesus, and um, we have two more weeks of that, this week and then next week, and um, it's just been an awesome opportunity for us to be able to uh, see God's faithfulness, not only through scripture, but also uh, just in the lives of people within our church family. And so we have another cool opportunity to, to hear from another uh, uh, person, member of our church. And so uh, we're going to watch that video real quick. Uh, and then we'll, I'll come up and, and we'll uh, continue on in our worship. But check out this clip. My name is Isaac Clemens, and this is my encounter with Jesus. Um, so growing up, I was always raised to believe in Jesus, was always uh, taught his stories, was always told to pray and to read my Bible and things like that. Um, and I would say, you know, for a small kid, I had some pretty good faith. I was, um, you know, pretty trusting in him. And though I, I didn't have what I would say, uh, Call, call a real encounter with Jesus. I, I knew enough that my parents believed in him and I would trust in him um, as much as I could. And, uh, you know, this, this worked out well for me. It you know, got me through life. You know, I was, I was young. Um, and so I, I, that worked well for me. Um, but that's uh, until life sort of, you know, hit like a freight train and uh, suddenly um, my foundation was rocked and it really questioned, you know, what is my faith? And that all happened when um, my dad got sick. Um, turns out for a lot of my life, he had been a closeted alcoholic and I, um, I had never really known. Uh, it never really affected me uh, greatly, but um, it was taking a toll on him and um, it had uh, deteriorated, deteriorated his body quite a bit. And, um, that, um, led him to long stays in the hospital and a lot of questions as to, um, if he was going to be okay. Uh, which, you know, at the time, you know, we believed in Jesus, we were going to church and, you know, we're hearing, you know, from every direction, like if you, you know, believe enough, like it'll happen where two or more agree, it shall be done. And, Jesus name and um, faith of a mustard seed can move a mountain right and so um, I said you know I, I you know I might not have much but I, I surely I have a mustard seed of faith and so we prayed and believed and trusted that um, he was going to be healed and he was going to be okay um, but what really shook everything was when things didn't turn out the way everyone said um, it was going to um, and just a few days before I turned 12, um, my dad passed away um, from liver failure. And that completely rocked me um, because that wasn't what was supposed to happen. <laughs> That's not what everyone told me what would happen. They said, if you believe, if, if you just believe enough, if you just pray enough, if you just 
have that mustard seed of faith, it's, he will be healed. It's going to happen. And when that didn't happen, suddenly that threw everything into question. Can I trust God? Is he really there for me? I, I never questioned whether he was there. I just questioned whether he was as good as everyone told me he was. And um, even more than that, like, even if he is good, then maybe it's something wrong with me. I, I, I prayed and I believed and I really, really thought he was going to be healed. If that wasn't enough faith for him to move, would I ever be good enough for him? And um, this, all, all of this and my grief led me into a season of life where I went completely numb. I genuinely stopped feeling things. I, I, I really put on a mask of being alive and being okay. Um, when in reality, I, I was fully dead inside. I don't have any memories from middle school. I maybe, maybe a couple of times when, um, you know, big things happened that would have shaken me out of it, but it's really a blank there. Um, because I was so numb and so dead inside. Um, and I was just completely lost. I didn't know um, what I could believe in, what I could trust in, or what could ease the pain that I was going through. Um, and so I would run to a lot of different things that I could. I you know, was afraid of alcohol because of what it did to my dad. And so I stayed away from drugs and alcohol and stuff, but I, I turned to things like people's validation. I always thought if enough people just liked me, if I, if I made a big enough name for myself, maybe I would feel worth, maybe I would, uh, may, maybe that will jolt me back to life. Um, I always thought maybe if I was smart enough or athletic enough or just whatever it was, I, I sought it to try to come back to life when um, none of it worked. It, it all left me in the same place of feeling nothing, of feeling dead, um, of being dead inside. And um, I had kind of lost all hope of that ever changing. Um, but then uh, when I was a sophomore in high school, my brother, uh, who was volunteering in my church's youth group, dragged me along. Uh, <laughs> And I didn't really want to go. I was, I was not about it, but he begged me and he asked enough times that I just said, sure, why not? I'll go. And uh, I noticed something there that was so different than what I had. Uh, I looked around and people had a light in their eyes. They looked so happy and, and, and they, they were, uh, alive in a way that I wasn't. And I always wanted what they had, but I, again, I, I still didn't know, could I trust God? If God is really what is bringing them life, can I trust him? Is he there for me? Am I enough for him? Um, and he really answered that. Um, that following summer, I went on a, on a camp retreat with the youth group and it was a couple nights in and I couldn't tell you what the pastor was preaching or what songs we sang or 
anything about that because I was just so lost in my own seat, um, wrestling a bit with the Lord um, because I had recognized how numb I was, that I wasn't experiencing things, that I wasn't feeling things, and I was over it and I, I wanted it to be done and people were telling me Jesus was the way and I wanted that if that was the case and so I went to God there in my seat and I said Lord I don't know if I can trust you I don't know if you're really there for me but I can't keep living like this I can't keep living like all is well and I'm fine when I feel so dead inside and I can't really enjoy or experience anything Lord so if you're there and if you care and if there's any way for me please please do something and I I can't really explain how I heard his voice. Um, it's still a bit of a mystery to me because um, it wasn't this booming sound and it wasn't, you know, even like a voice in my own head. It was just this still voice inside. Um, and I heard him speak to me and he said, Isaac, I'm here. I'm with you. And I know it's hard and I know you hurt, but I've never left you. I've been with you every step of the way. I've seen you. I've sat with you. I've wept with you. I'm here and I'm not leaving. And I know it's hard and I know you don't know if you can trust me, but I ask you to just follow me and know that I will do the rest. It's time to stop living this way. It's time to come back to life. And <laughs> I responded and I decided to trust him even though I was still unsure. And suddenly everything bursts into color. I have memories from that point on. I remember the rest of high school. I could experience him in a real way. I, I finally understood that he wasn't distant or off somewhere, you know, dictating all the things, but he was with me. He was present. He was there. And he showed me day by day how he always was with me, how he never left me, even when it was hard and even when it hurt, he was always there. And um, life has just been there since I've been alive. He's brought me back to life. When he says he's the way, the truth, and the life, it's real. He is life, and it's amazing. And um, I will say from that point, this is a, a, the spot where a lot of people will stop their testimony and just say, yeah, I'm alive and everything's great. Um, and yes, life with Christ is great, um, but also when he brought me back to life and I started experiencing things again, I finally had to address my grief. Uh, I finally had to address all of the hurt that had built up inside, all of the anger. And um, 
that has been a day-by-day journey where the Lord gets to reveal himself more to me again day-by-day. Um, it's not easy and it and it does hurt and I'm still grieving and I still am, you know, working through the, you know, subsequent depression and anxiety that has come with that and, um, you know, it, it's, it's still present there. It's not like everything is just rainbows and butterflies. It's, it's real life. Um, but, uh, like, like Paul talks about the thorn in his side, how that thing wasn't placed there by God, but God is using it, um, to show his glory and to, you know, prove his power and his, uh, magnificence through my weakness. Um, and, I truly believe he's using that day by day because every day if I feel down or I feel hurt or stuck in my grief, I get to turn to the almighty God who knows who I am, who has been with me every step in the way of the way and is guiding my every step from there. And I am just so thankful for that. And uh, I know he's redeeming me and no, I'm not perfect. and. Uh, yes, things are still hard, um, that, but that's not what he said it was going to be like. He didn't say everything was just going to be, you know, over the moon, fantastic, happy and fantastic and wonderful because the world is broken and we live in it. But he's still proving himself faithful to me day by day, even through that hurt and through that pain. And I'm so thankful because though I am broken and though I do have hurts and I do have grief, I'm still working through. I am alive and I'm alive in him because of him, because of his finished work. And for that, I am eternally grateful. And because of this, I know I've truly encountered him. And that is a foundation that cannot be shaken. you think uh, I was good watching it now, I was filming that, and so (laughs) I was like just a mess afterwards. Um, Scripture says that God is near to the brokenhearted. In reality, we have all had broken hearts, right? We've all experienced loss and grief, and listening to Isaac's story might have brought up memories of that grief for you. Because as we've said, Pastor Aaron said this time and time again, everybody has a story, and everybody's story matters to God. Am I good? Is that me popping? Okay. Well, that's not good. Hold on. All right, am I good? Can you guys hear me? Good. Um, so, like I said, everybody has a story, 
and everybody's story matters to God. Today, we're going to be talking about grief. Honestly, grief is, is really strange, isn't it? It's strange in the fact that we all react differently to that emotion. It visits us when we aren't ready, when we're not expecting it, and often it's still there even when we think it's not. When we've gotten over it, we think we're past it, it resurfaces. I saw a quote on grief that really uh, struck me recently. It's by an author. Her name's Vicki Harrison. She said this, Grief is like the ocean. It comes on waves, ebbing and flowing. Sometimes the water is calm, and sometimes it is overwhelming. All we can learn to do is swim. That's so true. Before we get too far into, into this, I want to say, oftentimes we only associate grief with the loss of a person. But in reality, it can be so much more. It can be the loss of a dream, the loss of a job, the loss of a relationship or a friendship. Grief is our response to the loss of something significant. And we have all experienced grief in some way throughout our lives. This message is going to be a little bit different in the fact that I'm going to, I'm going to be just sharing with you three stories. They're going to center all around this idea of grief. And my hope is that through these stories that you'll see a common thread that's woven throughout each of them. That thread that I want us to see is empathy. Now most people get empathy and sympathy mixed up, right? Do you know what the difference is? So I saw uh, in a video one time that explained the difference between empathy and sympathy. And explained it like this. Let's say you're stuck in a hole, right? You're down in a hole and somebody comes alongside you. Empathy is climbing down in that hole and saying, I know what it's like to be down here. I'm going to stay with you. And then when you're ready, we can climb out together. Sympathy is going to that same person in that hole and saying, oh man, that sucks that you're down there. I'm not going to come down there, but I'll throw you a sandwich. They're two totally different things, right? Empathy and sympathy. The piece that I want us to see in these stories is empathy, not sympathy. So the first story I want to share is... Um, I am not a pod, podcaster, but I think the last two messages that I've given, I've referenced a podcast. Um, it's because I only listen to one, so like that's the... <laughs> um, no, I'm not a podcaster, but I, this podcast that I listened to one time, it really hit me. Um, it shifted my perspective on empathy and what it looks like to be vulnerable and present with people. Uh, but before I ask... Or before I share this, I want to ask, how many of you guys are huggers? Raise your hand. You know what I mean by a hugger? Like, they, they hug constantly, right? They, they want to hug you. It doesn't matter if you have seen them every single day. They're going to ki still keep, you know, giving you hugs every time they see you. How many of you are not huggers? Raise your hand. How many of you are nervous because I'm talking about hugging right now? I'm not going to make you guys give hugs. Um, Aaron, 
as I was, I was prepping for this message, he asked me, he said, so you're going to give a hug line? Like people just come up and can receive hugs. I am not a, I am not a hugger by nature. Um, if somebody wants to give me a hug, I'm not going to turn them down. I'm not going to run away. But I am not, uh, not going to hug you as soon as I come up and see you. Um, so that doesn't mean I don't like you. So if I don't give you a hug now, you know why. Um, so why do I talk about hugging? Well, I, I'm going to share about that. That's part of the story. I was listening to this podcast, like I said, and it was about this guy named Cody. And Cody's a young guy. He's telling his life story, and he had lost his mom right before high school, and that really sent him into a depression. He talked about how his family uh, didn't really know how to cope with the loss of uh, his mom, so his, his dad was very sick um, most of his life, and his mom was the main caretaker. And so when she died, his dad had to go to a nursing home, so he essentially lost both of his parents at the same time. And his family just was not uh, an emotional family. They were not, um, they were not huggers. <laughs> um, they uh, just didn't really know how to cope. And so uh, this sent him kind of into a, a depression and he tells about this story about how he was in weights class one time. And uh, the weights teacher was also his football coach. And he was in weights class, and the football coach called him out in the hallway. And he didn't know this coach very well. And he thought he was maybe in trouble. And when he went out in the hallway, his coach didn't say anything to him. He just came up to him and gave him the biggest hug that he had ever received in his life. And he said it felt like eternity, like he was just hugging him forever. And um, he didn't say anything to him. All he did was just give him a hug, just a hug. That's it. Not a word. And then he went back in the, you know, in the classroom. We find out later that this coach had lost his mom when he was young, too. And he knew that no words were going to suffice. And then all he could do was give him a hug because that was the thing that he needed the most when he had lost his mom was just somebody to give him a hug. The podcast goes on. It talks about how this one simple hug changed Cody, this young guy's life forever. Suddenly, he became the hugger. It was like what, what Isaac shared with his story, how it totally shifted his perspective. Colors were, were vibrant. He, it was like he was alive. He became a hugger. Everyone knew when they saw him that Cody was going to give him a hug. Now, I know that's rare, and not everybody that you give a hug to is, is gonna, it's not going to change their life forever. The point is that this person showed empathy in the simplest form. Because of that simple act, it made somebody feel loved. It made them feel seen. It made them feel understood. And it made them feel like they weren't alone in their grief. I want to talk a little bit about, um, about my story. That's the reason why this story hit me so hard. It's the reason why Isaac's story hit me so hard. Um, something very similar happened to me. Some of you may know, but I, uh, I lost my dad when I was young as well. 
Um, he died three days after my 15th birthday. It was very, very unexpected. Uh, he had a stroke in the middle of the night, and then he was on a ventilator in the hospital for a week, and he never made it off the ventilator. Um, it's been 16 years since that has happened, and grief still visits me quite often. It visits me in memories, playing with my kids, watching Notre Dame football, music. Isn't it funny how certain memories we can't live life without being reminded of the losses that we've gone through. The reason that story that I mentioned hit me so hard was because I've had so many moments in my life where people showed me genuine empathy, where people loved me right where I was at. When I was young, I, I wrestled a lot. Not just with my brother, but actual, actual wrestling in, uh, in school. And my dad was a very uh, accomplished high school wrestler. He was a regional champion, and I wanted to be like my dad, so I wanted to wrestle, right? And <clears throat> I, uh, he never forced me to wrestle. Um, he just pushed me in whatever I did. And uh, I did it because that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be like my dad. After my dad died, I really just lost all desire to wrestle at all. Um, but I also didn't want to be a quitter. And so that kept me doing it, but it was for the wrong reasons. I had this idea in my head that if I kept wrestling, um, my dad, or if I didn't keep wrestling, my dad would be disappointed. And my wrestling coach at the time was my dad's uh, childhood best friend, and, and he was his current best friend as well. Um, I remember him coming over to my house and talking to me late, late into the night, probably even to the early morning. And he was talking to me about giving up wrestling. And I was fully expecting him to tell me to stick it out, you know, to tough it up and to finish out what I had started. But instead, he gave me permission to stop wrestling for the wrong reasons. He sat with me in my living room, and he put, myself, he put himself in my shoes. And I didn't know this at the time, but he told me later that he had lost his dad in college. And he knew what it was like to not have his dad for some of the most pivotal moments in his life. And so in that moment, he chose empathy. He chose to show me what he wanted to receive when he was experiencing that loss and that grief. I didn't need his permission, obviously, but I, I got his blessing. For me, that was, that was empathy. I want to talk about uh, the story of Lazarus. We all know um, and have heard the story and it ties everything all together that I've talked about. I don't know about you, but I like to, to ask the question, um, when I hear a story, I like to ask the question, what would Jesus do in that situation, right? When I hear a situation of something happening, you know, whether it's a conflict or whatever that looks like, I would say, what, what would Jesus do? You know, the age-old WWJD. And that should be our compass, right? We should look to what Jesus has shown us throughout scriptures. 
So that same question exists here. What is Jesus' response to grief? We can find that in John chapter 11. So most of us have heard the story of raising Lazarus from the dead, where Jesus comes and he raises him from the dead. He'd been dead for four days. But I want us to look at that story again. And we'll focus on some other things this time instead of just the resurrection. That's an important piece, but I want us to, to look at some of the things that lead up to that point. I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but I want to set some of this up before. So Jesus' friend Lazarus, also Mary and Martha's brother, he got sick, right? And Jesus knew this whole family really well, so they sent word to Jesus that he was sick. And the interesting thing is, Jesus stays another two days where he is before he goes and sees Lazarus. How I many of you remember that from the story? That he actually stays. They, they want him to go, right? And he's like, I'm just going to stay, you know, and, and wait until he's good and dead, <laughs> until I'm going to go. Um, which, is, which is funny. I mean, it, it is kind of true because the thing that, that Jesus says is he wants uh, to, to reveal the glory of God. And so uh, essentially he was saying, I want to make sure he is good and dead. And there's, there's literally no hope that he, you know, that he can come back. And so, um, so that the glory of God and the power of God can be shown. So Jesus makes his way to the village so that he can resurrect Lazarus. And I want us to focus on what happens when Jesus gets to this village, to this place where people are mourning. It says in Scripture that Martha comes out to meet Jesus when he arrives, but Mary stayed at home and then joins them later. And here's what I want to pick up in Scripture. It should be on the screen. It says, When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in the spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he's been there for four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that, you may believe, that they may believe that you sent me. Then he had said this, Jesus, when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out. His hands and feet were wrapped with strips of linen and cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. I want us to look back at verse 33. When Jesus saw everyone else weeping, he was deeply moved and troubled. 
The Bible talks about how Jesus was acquainted with every emotion that we have felt, every struggle, every temptation. Jesus knew he was going to heal Lazarus, right? He knew he was going to resurrect him from the dead when he journeyed there. He knew that. What I don't think he expected to find was the sorrow and grief from Lazarus' friends and family. We don't assume anything that's not in Scripture. That's where we can get in trouble. But if Jesus was operating out of his humanity at this moment, I think this might have been his first real encounter with the humanity of grief. He allows himself to feel the pain of others here. Jesus models here what it's like to carry one another's burdens. And then in verse 35 it says, He wept. The universal emotion that we all go through when we experience deep sadness and sorrow. Do you remember what Isaac said in the video? What God had, had, had put on his heart, what God had said to him. I've been there with you every step of the way. I've wept with you. I've been present with you. If you want to model what empathy to hurting people looks like, Jesus shows us here. Other people even see it and they see, see how he loved them, how he loved him. There are probably a couple of reasons why Jesus weeps here, but here's, here's why I, the main reason why I think he does. He's weeping because his friend is dead and he allows himself to feel the pain of loss. He sees the brokenness that surrounds him and that breaks his heart. My question is, do we allow ourselves to get there where others' brokenness breaks our heart? What's the Bible say? To mourn with those who mourn, right? There's a reason. We're called to model empathy, compassion, and love to others when they go through heartbreaking situations, when they go through loss, when they go through grief. I want to end with, there are three things that, that really stand out to me that I think Jesus does here that we can learn from. The first thing is Jesus' emotional connection. Empathy requires that connection. We can't empathize with someone if we are indifferent to their pain or suffering. Jesus met this grieving family right where they were. What does it look like for us to do that? As a body of Christ, there are hurting people that we come across every day that need the love and compassion of Jesus without any strings attached. How can we embody the empathy that Jesus shows here? The biggest thing that Jesus does, did you notice it? The biggest thing that he does is just show up. He just shows up. He's present, right? He's present. He's with them. How can we be present with others and their hurt? To just show up. That's half of it, right? Is showing up, being there for people. Not to fix it, but just to be present and to love them. I remember I, uh, the night that my dad got taken to the hospital, 
I, I wasn't there. I didn't go to the hospital. Um, I remember I, I was the oldest of my siblings, and then I had a younger brother and a younger sister. And I remember I had a youth pastor at the time, came over with me. We played Monopoly till three in the morning. It wasn't anything that he said. I'll remember that for the rest of my life, that he was present. He lost some sleep, and he was able to minister and play a game with me. And to me, that meant the world, just that he was present with me in my pain. He didn't have any answers. He didn't go and raise my dad from the dead. He just spent time with me. He loved me. Number two, Jesus was vulnerable. What's the most noticeable thing that Jesus does in this encounter? He weeps, right? He weeps, cries for the loss of his friend. And he knows he's going to bring him back, but he still weeps. He makes himself vulnerable. Jesus models what it looks like to put ourselves in others' shoes that are experiencing brokenness and hurt. What does being vulnerable look like for you? I'm going to be honest. Some of you wouldn't cry for anything. Like nothing breaks your heart. Be willing to be vulnerable with the people that love and care about you. As a church family, we have to be a place where people can truly be transparent. And not worry about getting hurt. And then number three. Jesus' empathy leads to action. He does something about it, right? He raises Lazarus from the dead. Now we may not raise somebody from the grave, but we can still be the hands and feet of Jesus by loving others with our actions. We can bring someone a meal, right? We can visit someone and pray for them when we know they're hurting. We can invite people into our space, into our homes. There are so many things that we can do to love people through our actions. Are we doing those things? Are we doing that? Ask yourself the question, what does God want to do through me? How can he use you? It's so simple, yet it's the foundation of who Jesus was. The will of the Father, right? That's what Jesus was looking to do in every encounter that he had with each person. Had that emotional connection. He was vulnerable. And it always led him to act, whether it was through prayer. We see all the times he washed his disciples' feet. I mean, the action. We see that following every encounter that he had with somebody. He was empathy, compassion, and love in action every day of his life. So my question is, what does God want to do through you? How can you be empathy, the empathy of Jesus, to other people who are hurting, who are grieving. We have all experienced that. Scripture says that we comfort those 
with the same comfort that we received from Christ, right? How are you comforting those around you that you know are broken, that you know are hurting? It's my challenge to you. As a church family, are we doing enough? Are we loving people right where they're at? Are we being present with people? Let's pray. God, I just ask that you would allow us to see people with your eyes. We come into contact with so many people throughout our day, so many people that are hurting, that are broken, that just need to know the hope of Jesus. They need to know what it's like to have somebody in their corner somebody who's willing to to get their hands dirty. So God, I pray that we as a church, as South Creek Church, would be willing to do that. That everybody walks through our doors, that people that we encounter throughout the week, they would know something's different about us by the way that we treat them by the way we love them, that we would go above and beyond what we normally do to show the love and compassion and empathy of you every day in our life. God, I, I need this. I need you to just wake me up sometimes, to give me your eyes to see when people truly need a hug. Maybe I need to be a hugger. <laughs> Maybe I need to, to be more compassionate. I know I do. But I think we all do. God, help us to embody that empathy that, you, that we see through Scripture, that we see through every encounter that you have. Help us to weep with those who weep, to mourn with those who mourn, and to truly be your hands and feet in action to show love to this broken world. 